Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast. If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you. We sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode from the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This is Jacob Myers here on the microphone, and uh, very excited about this episode. we got our buddy, Jacob Enmarie, joining us today. And this is going to be kind of a, a deer-slash-turkey episode, uh, talking kayak access and the advantage of being able to get out and kind of get away from some pressure using boat access. But, Jacob, how are you doing today? I'm great. Finally, finally awake for the day. Yeah, it's kind of weird. You know, you run a night shift, so, you know, it's uh, 2.15 in the afternoon. Like you said, this is like your 5 o'clock wake-up time. So, you know, it's a little bit different from, from the majority of uh, listeners, I'm sure, but uh, definitely appreciate you joining us uh, bright and early, as a, a night shift worker uh, can say, uh, to kind of join us and talk about some uh, deer and turkey hunting. Heck yeah, man. They uh, We started this outage on April, April 2nd, and they asked us all, you know, who wants to go on nights, and I'm like, what's the schedule 6 30 to 6 30 i'm like well let me tell you what my butt ain't working 6 30 a.m to 6 30 p.m during turkey season so 
put me on nights or give me a check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I want to dive into this. So this is something that, you know, we've dealt with and, and deal with a little bit in the past, talking kayak access, boat access, uh, both for turkeys and deer. And it's kind of interesting when you find yourself like guys like yourself and uh, other guys like Parker McDonald and other and, and there's a lot of other people that you get have success using kayaks uh, and boat axes getting to locations that you know maybe just doesn't have a lot of hunter pressure from the water per se or you get a little creative on your access points and get into some spots that maybe there's hunting pressure at but specifically turkey hunting getting on the backside of some of these birds that uh maybe haven't been called from a specific direction uh maybe which would lean yourself or lend yourself uh, a better opportunity to be able to kill those turkeys so jake but to kick us off we, we gotta talk about this a little bit um what has been your experience up to this point with kayak access from both a deer and turkey perspective and maybe some of the, the quick rundown of do's and don'ts right off the bat of kayak access from maybe a safety standpoint, but also things that you've learned uh, that maybe kind of help people jumpstart their perspective on uh, how they can figure out if, if kayak access is something that they want to kind of pay attention to. Right on. Well, Parker is actually one of the people that got me fascinated with water access and uh, it's kind of taken off for me the last three or four years and whatnot, but um, man, just, I think the biggest thing for me um has just been one saving saving my legs that's that's a big thing um and just the fact of coming in at an angle uh where these animals are not experiencing a lot of foot traffic um it just really cuts down especially for the deer like you said um coming in on the water which birds are normally roosted close by um is a, is a huge benefit you're able to cover tons of ground um, it seems like in almost every state that you look at, there is somewhere where you can use water access. And um, I know it's just been super beneficial for me to be able to kind of creep in. And, and a lot of times deer hunting, I'm, I'm out of my boat and I'm up a tree within uh, 30, 40 yards. So you're cutting down on uh, your ground scent, things like that. Uh, you're cutting down on uh, the whole out of sight, out of mind ordeal. Um and sometimes you're getting back into places that are super far from a road. And, and other times, you know, you're, you're uh, jumping in a spot that's maybe super overlooked, you know, people aren't even fooling with. Yeah. And that's a good point. And I, I do want to kind of kick off, uh, you're talking about both, you know, from a deer hunting perspective that, you know, sometimes you might set up, you know, 30, 40 yards from the kayak, you know, pretty close to the water line. Um, and then also for turkeys that turkeys in some of these areas like to roost close to the water line or close to the water. Um, I do want to talk about from both perspectives, um, you know, kind of early on starting with deer, cause this is going to be kind of like a combo episode. You know, you just had success killing a nice turkey, um, you know, around a, a, a big, or a body of water and the hunt sounds pretty interesting. You kind of gave me the rundown on it yesterday. And again, this is pretty fresh in our mind. The video just dropped by the time this episode will be out. The video will be out on uh, DO3 outdoors, but to kind of talk about the, 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 I guess the idea with water and animals being tight to the water. And again, a lot of your pressure is not necessarily coming from the water. Talk to us from the deer perspective. You know, you're, you're saying, 
a lot of times you may be paddling into a spot and only walking 30, 40 yards getting the tree. That is a huge advantage, like you mentioned, from, you know, ground scent, ground disturbance, um, you know, leaving the least amount of scent and disturbance on the ground in that area before you get up a tree, which is huge. But also be able to get into the area pretty quietly. That's the cool thing about the kayak, especially if you have your stuff dialed in. You're really not making a lot of noise unless you freaking, you know, smack your bow off the, the kayak or something like that or drop the, the paddle. Um, <laughs> let's... There. Yeah, let's talk about that. So, again, last year, or really the last couple of years, you've had tremendous success with the kayak, especially whitetail hunting. Talk to us about, like, some of the setups. Like, what have you figured out from the perspective of getting in and around that water and how a lot of these bucks specifically are using those that water line or using these uh, these sloughs, these creeks, these, these lakes to kind of navigate around and how you can kind of take advantage of that from a funnel standpoint? Man, uh, one of the things that I've really noticed, and this is really just pertaining to a couple of the areas that I hunt, is the water normally creates some kind of pinch. And the thing that I love most about hunting in my kayak is, like I said, if you have the opportunity to get out and get up a tree, you know, quickly um, in that pinch and whatnot, you, you, you're not in there disturbing the ground. You're not uh, out there walking around, educating the deer and whatnot. Um, but a lot of times, man, in the last two years, I've been able to find these pinches on these pieces of public that I'm hunting, or at least another access point. Like for instance, the Indiana buck I killed, um, I'm paddling down this Creek of about a mile. And then I'm, if the water's up enough, I'm able to take another Creek through a ditch and get right out in this pinch. And I'm, I'm hunting to where I can spit in my kayak. Um, and then there's been other instances where. I'm looking at the map right now of one of the places that I hunt quite a bit in Kentucky and I'm not necessarily getting out of the kayak and um, hunting right above it or even close to it, but it is shaving off three miles of walking each time. And I'm coming in from a spot that the deer um, recently found out on this uh, WMA that they're uh, betting very closely to the access trail and, and watching people walk in and they're using that to their advantage. Um but yeah, as as far as um, I don't know where I was going with that. Honest to God. Um, <laughs> well, to kind of, I'll, uh, I'll help you out a little bit. So with that, can you talk about like what are some of these pinch points specifically that kind of look like around the waterways? I mean, kind of talk about some of the different things that you've maybe whether it's looking at a map or you get into a spot and like, hey, the signs here, you know, the deer should travel this edge, especially starting getting the pre rut rut time period. What give us some examples of what some of that stuff looks like and how some of those different steps have been where you've utilized the kite to get into the location, but then be able to find a tree that again, whether you're saying, you know, it's spitting distance to the kayak, whether it's a hundred yards from the kayak or maybe you're walking further, what are some of the different examples that you've, you know, kind of implemented uh, when using kayak access and finding some of these funnels in and around some of these, like, you know, this bottom land or, you know, around any kind of like waterways. Okay. So I'll give you two examples. Um, with first one being the Indiana buck that I killed last year. Uh, that's one of my favorite things about that area is when I kayak into that place, um, you've got a lot of public and private kind of mixed in. Um, you've got some ag fields that obviously these big bucks ain't just going to walk across in broad daylight. Um, and this area I can get out of the kayak and then instantly there is a slough, probably 30, 40 yards on the other side of this Creek. And these deer run this Creek and they avoid walking through that mucky mud, the slough, the water, whatnot, cause it's loud. It's, it's obviously not ideal for them to do it so on 
one side of this creek, you've got about 50 to 60 yards of flat. Um, it gets a little damp and, and wet. There'll be puddles of water in it, but it's it's a bunch of oaks and, and just regular trees. Then you get to that slough, and on the other side of that slough, you've got like a crop field right there. So those deer literally have to pinch down through that area to travel back and forth unless they want to get soaking wet or, or covered in mud. And it's just been money the last couple of years. I mean, I've shot both of my Indiana bucks in that area um, almost from within 150 yards. Uh, but I love that spot. And, and another example, uh, my Kentucky buck I killed a couple of years ago uh, is water – it seems to, well, not exactly water, but the water in this area pushes right up to like some steeper topo, okay? But there's, say, 10 or 15-yard buffer where it's flat, flattish coming out. And then you've got, I mean, I, I can't say the angle, but the, the hillside is like super, super steep going up. And if the deer are using the bottoms and whatnot, rather than going up that super steep hillside, they're going to come right around the bottom of that topo and avoid, you know, one, going through the water and going over that hillside and uh i didn't kill a deer in that location this year but had a lot of really close encounters and um that was another area of what uh i could literally reach over out of my saddle and spit in the kayak pretty cool i like really like doing that man it's a uh, it's pretty fun well th- there's a similarity between what you're doing and another guy we're going to try to get on the podcast a guy named scott uh he- he's in his mid to late 60s and he lives down uh more a little more south alabama and and hunts off a couple different river systems and he is a he's a river rat i mean this dude kills big deer on the river in the same situation like what you're talking about he doesn't really use a kayak he uses different boats he's got a bunch of different boats but in a lot of cases he's pulling up on the riverbank and hanging his stand climbing his stand that is literally like over the top of his boat because in that area of the country where he's at the riverbank's what's thick cover. Once you get 30 yards off the riverbank, it opens up to big, wide timber, all the way to, say, like some private land, like private land boundary. So a lot of those bucks get sucked tight to those rivers uh, just to stay inside the privet and stay inside the, the switch cane and all that kind of thick cover that's up against the riverbank. And he's had tremendous success doing it. And it's kind of funny because you talk to a guy like that, and he's been doing this now for like 45 years. You talk to somebody that's been doing it for so long, you start talking about going to hill country and walking, even just a few hundred yards. He's like, that's a long ways. He's like, man, I, I say, I drive my boat, you know, eight, 10, 15 miles. And then I pull up and then I'm not walking a minute and a half before I'm up against a tree. And then I'm climbing that tree. Um, yeah. But it, it is interesting. Again, when you're seeing guys like yourself, Parker McDonald and a bunch of other guys that had success with the water access. And again, it's just crazy how close to the water you can have, you know, success versus having the mindset that a lot of us have, especially if you hunt public land, of walking in as far as you can physically go and then hanging and hunting. Um, it's kind of maybe a little bit opposite on the water axis. It's like, yeah, you can paddle in a good long ways, or sometimes maybe it's a shorter ways around access point that just nobody really gets to. Maybe you have like a, a super steep ridge that comes down to the water line that nobody's going to walk across uh, that may be close to access, but you're on the backside of that ridge up against the water, and there's a really good flat or something like that the deer are using. And uh, mm-hmm. it's almost like thinking outside the box and being a little bit more smarter with your approach because, yeah, you can paddle as far as you want, but some of these areas, again, may be fairly close to access or you may be paddling in a mile or two miles depending on what the situation arises, but you're able to get in locations that those deer are using that water and using that terrain that kind of funnels them down naturally 
and you're just taking advantage of that situation without having to really manipulate the habitat of the terrain. Um, and you're able to kind of slip in, slip out really in, in a way that you're pretty in an invasive or in, non-invasive um, from like a scent and disturbance standpoint, just because again, a lot of times it seems like you're not having to walk just a tremendous amount of distance and leaving a ton of ground scent, a lot of disturbance, and you're able to hunt extremely smart that way, which if I had to guess, and Jake, you can maybe mention, talk about this, does it seem like you can get away with more as in like hunting a spot more times in a row, as long as you have a good wind in those locations versus if you were trying to hike back into a spot? 110%, dude. I feel like this, The I hate to keep harping on this, but this spot in Indiana, I mean, I can hunt it on three different winds and know that I'm, I'm probably not going to disturb the deer whatsoever, unless they're sleeping out in about four or five feet of slew water. You know what I mean? Um, you can just get in and out undetected. You can hunt, um, multiple winds a lot of times that's really another thing i like about using water to hunt uh, and rather than walking in and and uh the bunt, the deer seeing you the deer smelling you you know that's a huge thing and a lot of times i've noticed like these areas that have both water and foot access is like the deer are already back there kind of closer to the water because they've been bumped so many times by people that that's where they're at they're, i mean they're putting their hind into the water um, and watching, um, you know, where people would normally come in from almost regardless of which way the wind's blowing, just because I don't know if you've ever, I mean, I know you have, um, you, you try walking through water and if you're not quiet and it's, it's not possible. I mean, if you're walking in, in like a shin deep or whatever, less water, like you can go slow enough, but walking through it stuff, hip deep water, whatever, or, uh, even like a, a boat like a bigger boat, like it's hard to go through water quietly. Um, but yeah, man, that's one of the big things I noticed is a lot of times they're already back there after the pressure has been applied because of people bumping them and seeing them and smelling them so much. Yeah. And it's like, you're, you're putting yourself back in the spot that they already feel comfortable at. So you're already out in immense or among those deer versus trying to hike back into that spot. And like you said, and I've seen this too, like this, that, you know, that spot I was mentioning to you about before we started recording, there's a spot that I've used water access a bunch of the last, uh, three or four seasons. I didn't hunt it. Actually, I didn't hunt the last two years, but, uh, three to four years ago, uh, hunted this spot uh, quite a bit in kayak access going back into this location. And man, you go in at 3am, 4am paddling or pedaling back in there. And you'd see all these bucks down along the water side of like this, this, uh, this, uh, uh, like look, this lake and everything in this, uh, river. And you would literally see them bedded down with does up against the water. And you'd be, I mean, it'd be two and a half hours before daylight, three hours before daylight. And you're going in and you're like seeing all these deer and come to find out, uh, it's one of those spots that, you know, it really pays to know that the habitat and the terrain and also like your access points, because, I was actually going into a location that I'm like, oh, dude, I'm, I'm far away. You know, I'm a mile plus away from the truck, paddling back in here and then hiking in a little bit and hunting. And come to find out there was another access point I didn't know about that you could hike back in there because it didn't happen to me, but Andrew was hunting in that spot, took the kayak in, and a dude walked in who actually is a listener of the podcast and walked back into that spot and ran into Andrew. And um, and come to find out, it's a, it's an easy, you know, especially if you're not worried about bumping deer or anything like close to the access point. I mean, you could hike back to that spot in 15, 20 minutes pretty easily, like flat, like it's not it's not bad at all, versus paddling in, um, which is, is kind of hilarious. But the one thing I learned there is, especially early in the morning, but during the rut, those bucks would push those does out towards that water 
and pretty much get her to bed close to the water and then pretty much stand with his butt up against her defending her from any other bucks because i saw that happen two different times where you know a really nice buck would push this doe down towards the water she'd be down there kind of milling around and he would just kind of watch back you know up the ridges and everything for other bucks coming down and try to harass her um and it was it was interesting kind of seeing how that worked out but also you get down to the spots and it's, it's crazy the sign you find down in along those waterways especially like in the area that i'm talking about it's a little more kind of hit little hill country not completely flat but it's definitely not like mountainous or anything like that and anytime you had like a a small ditch or even like a super small creek that ran out into this river you would be able to find like massive scrapes right there where they kind of teed off against that bigger body of water where you could see bucks are kind of like working that edge kind of the the the, up against where the elevation drops down to the bottoms They'd work that edge, probably scent checking in the evening specifically or early mornings before the thermal switched. Um, And then they'd either go up in elevation to bed or they'd find a thick spot down low that they'd felt comfortable in. Um, So, again, that's kind of interesting. And also, one thing I've I've learned in one of those spots is there was a little train feature that was kind of interesting, a little ridge point that kind of dropped off over this secondary creek that went out to the main river. And uh, two different mornings in a row, I've talked about this on the podcast, there was a really big buck that bedded right on that little point dropping down to this creek and the creek made a big bend around that point um, with a couple different thermal hubs dropping down to the spot and that buck was there two days in a row i bumped him out of that spot because i tried to, i tried I was trying to hunt him after i saw what he was and how big the deer was and he would bed on that little point and he could smell everything around him all these thermal hubs drained down to this one spot and there were six or seven huge crossings super close to him and he was he was bedded there during the rut and I saw him, I did it all day sitting there, bumped him out on a morning sit. So I went in, it was like 4 a.m., an hour and a half before daylight, was walking past that ridge point, saw him, he saw me, I saw freaking antlers, and he like went off the other side, stayed oh, out there all day long. When I came back after dark, going back to the kayak, he was there again on that freaking point in the dark. Oh, and I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Um, and come to find out now I know how you can hunt that spot and be able to get an opportunity at them. But, um, it's just crazy how, you know, these deer feel so comfortable in these locations because they have typically a bunch of different exit routes, you know, depending on where the pressure comes from, they can get away a couple different ways, but also just how comfortable they are around the water. And one thing I've noticed, and maybe you can talk about this, I don't know if you've hunted areas where you have, uh, a decent amount of water noise. And what I mean by this is a little faster flowing water where they're like, you get up a finger Creek. That's got a little more rushing water outside the, the main river or lake. And something about like that noise, like that, like just constant noise of like the, the gurgling stream or Creek or something like that. It seems like deer specifically bucks are very comfortable in that location. I have no idea why, but it's like every time I'd get in one of those spots where you'd have a bunch of like that rushing water, you'd find buck beds, you'd find huge scrapes and all kinds of sign in that little spot right there. Um, and I, I don't know why that could be the case or if it was just an anomaly. I found that one location, but it was, it was really interesting seeing how those bucks use those locations. Uh, I, that, you know, that's odd to me. Um, I don't hunt a lot of places with super fast moving water. Um, just because, uh, one, my, uh, trolling motor is broke at the moment. So I'm paddling everywhere and I really don't want to fight current, uh, especially in the dark or too bad of current anywhere, but man, that's odd. You would think a a big deer wouldn't want to bed somewhere where noise is kind of disturbing him or blocking out other noise. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's a good point. Uh, I mean where that buck was bedded at, he was on this little ridge point. It's only 
maybe 20 feet above where the creek kind of bends around them. And that creek's not at, like, you're not, you're not taking a kayak up that creek very far off the main river. Like you're only going up probably, I don't know, 40 yards, parking the kayak and then kind of walking in. But it's like, you know, having that background noise, like I've heard guys we've uh, interviewed on podcasts talking about like big bucks betting up against like highways and interstates. And it's something about oh, like yeah. that constant noise of like vehicles going by. And it's like, they only get wigged out. They hear something going by and then all of a sudden it stops and like that noise yeah. stops and they're like, whoa, yeah. that's different. And it's like, I don't know yeah. um, if, you know, that creek's any, any different on how they're reacting to it. But kind of getting back to on, on the whitetail talk with you, you know, the these bodies of water, you know, make such great funnels. Like you mentioned that one scenario where you have like the creek on one side, the slough on the other side, and you got a gap in between them and like an ag field on the other side of the slough. I mean, that's, I mean, what, you know someone that you know uses water access dreams of dude i mean you talk about like an awesome pinch right there um especially during the rut pre-rut when bucks are really kind of covering some ground what are some other things that you've kind of taken away when it comes to water access from from deer as in like you know it, are you still pretty focused on trying to get to a spot fairly early um as in getting like set up and stuff like are you setting up in some of these locations like expecting especially on a morning hunt really early movement or does it seem like in some of these locations maybe it's cause like you're not there you're maybe not be necessarily close to bedding that some of that movement maybe happens a bit later in the morning whether someone bumping some of the deer that they come through that gap or for whatever reason you're just a little bit further away from that bedding location from like bucks and does and they come cruising through a little bit later on in the mornings i've seen it both ways jacob honestly um i've had really good success in, in these areas like you said, about that 9, 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock deer, you know, up and moving back to their secondary bed or whatnot. Um, and then uh, they believe the hunt of that buck right there. Paddling in, I remember I wrote uh, an article for Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine. And one of the things I really detailed in that uh, article was how, one, I waited for the season to progress, the pressure to, to pick up. Uh, and then as I was going in, in gray light, because it had rained super hard that morning. So I actually waited till gray light to move in. And um, I was hearing bucks, you know, run and chase and whatnot up and down the creek edge that, that morning. I remember hearing that. And so I think it pays honestly more to be in there before daylight, well before daylight. I don't encourage anybody to take off on a brand new body of water that they don't know you know, hours before dark because there's so many variables with hunting on the water. Uh, for instance, that hunt, I actually paddled in, got out and uh, beached the kayak and killed that buck. And when I come back, the kayak was gone because it had rained so much that morning that it was bringing the water levels up. You know, I didn't notice it, but uh, oh yeah, that thing was gone. About a half mile down the creek, I finally found it. <laughs> but yeah, man, um, I don't know. I, I could, I'd say you could go either way with it. I mean, I just prefer myself to just be in there at least 30 minutes of set up before it starts creaking, you know, a little bit of daylight. Just lets the wood settle back down if you are in there crunching sticks and whatnot. Um, but that's just my opinion. Let me ask, uh, and I know some of this may uh, be uh, based off like your work schedule. But typically, if you're going to hunt a spot like this around, you know, water access, especially if it's one of those spots like you're not going in very far, like that funnel's pretty close to the, to where you're parking the kayak. Um, do you prefer mornings over evenings? Have you had any kind of success in the afternoon or evenings? Like, what's your kind of take there? 
I've had so much success in the mornings the last couple of years that I'm kind of taking to them now. Um, I don't know what it is, man. I really don't. I mean, I've had opportunities in the afternoon, but nothing like I've been having in the morning. I don't know what it is about it. Um, and I think a lot of that is when you're closer to the water, all your thermals are pulling, sucking down to that water. And I feel like the deer, in my opinion, want to be closer to those, especially bigger bodies of water in the morning times rather than the evenings. Mm, good point. Interesting. Yeah. See, that's, you know, I, I've, I've had conversations with other guys where like, you know, you always have like whitetail hunters that are, you know, some guys really love the morning up till midday and a lot of guys like the afternoons, uh, for like mature bucks. And it's like, typically always seems like, again, more, unless you're like on some kind of major food source or something like that. And you're catching like a buck, like late season, like it seems like, I don't know, mornings, I get so excited about a morning hunt versus an afternoon hunt. Afternoon hunt. It's like, dude, even if you're going to buy water, which I've done a little bit as well, you go and buy water in an afternoon hunt. It's almost like, I'm so worried that a bucks would be bedded on the water's edge that kind of sees me drift by him and pull up versus in the morning, you know, be able to go in, you know, cut your light off, beach the kayak, slip in before he maybe is even already back to his bed and maybe he's up kind of messing with some does. Um, and I think that's a, that's a huge point. And then also, have you done many all day sits with using water access, like going in during the rut and like, Hey, I'm, I'm sitting you know, majority of the day, and if so, is that something that you'd sit in the same spot, or would you kind of move around a little bit? I, I guess that would depend on if I'm seeing a bunch of movement, you know what I mean? And that's one of the benefits. I'm not going to jump too much off track of the one sticking, you know. You just rappel down, and you're up a tree again in 20 minutes somewhere else. Um, I've sat all day a, a handful of times. I really don't like it because I don't like packing a bunch of food with me, <laughs> and uh, I get hungry quick, and very hangry, but um, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll do it in November if I'm in a great spot and I know that there's people up and moving around and moving the deer to me. That's that's a big thing. Um, but it seems like a lot of the places that I'm, I'm doing this is um, kind of primarily just, I don't know. I feel like I'm having so much success early in the morning that I don't have to do all day sits. So that's just me yeah it kind of helps when you tag out before 10 o'clock you know <laughs> that uh Definitely. yeah it's like oh, i gotta sit all day you know i kill my you know my, my buck early um also when you're talking about like these spots so i i kind of look at it as if you're in a really good pinch around some water even if the movement's kind of slow in the morning if the signs there the tracks uh the scrapes uh rubs the whole nine yards and i bet you know maybe we could talk about this like sign do you see quite a bit of sign in these locations when you have a pretty tight pinch? Like, like in the example, you're talking about Indiana, you know, you got a Creek on one side, you get the slough on the other side. There's a 56 yard gap in between them that the deer really like to use. Is that a spot you typically find a bunch of rubs and scrapes in those locations? No, honestly, that's, that's crazy that you bring that up because this area has been so good to me and I've, I can only find, and it's there every year. There's like one community scrape. And I'm looking at it right now on the map. I wish I could show. I'll show you after the podcast. I, you've got to see this place. Um, but there's like one community scrape right there that I know that I can hang a camera on and kind of take intel and whatnot. But as far as rubs, they're not there. Um, a lot of the, I guess the other scrapes, they don't hit them as much and the water comes up in there. And places that I'm killing these deer, I mean, there, there could be two or three feet of water in there at the right conditions. If you know, it rains for a week or so. But I'm not seeing the sign like that. I'm just trusting my gut. I'm I'm zooming out on Onyx. I'm looking at the area. 
you know, I've got great water features. I've got ag. I know there's good sets of oak trees over here. Like I know there's big deer in the area and that's when you can fall back on that 50 yard wide gap and know that it just takes one buck cruising through there in late October or chasing a doe in through there in November or whatnot, or June, whenever y'all's rut kicks off in Alabama. I, <laughs> but, uh, I just put so much stock in those pinch points, man. Uh, and knowing that the, the big deer are there, it's just a matter of time before they just kind of have to squeeze through that little area, you know? So that's okay. And see, that's where I get really kind of interested, but also excited about this is, you know, some of these spots, especially like you're talking about in this Indiana spot, there's not a ton of sign there. Like, it's not like a spot you go to if you didn't really understand funnels all that much and be like blown away with the sign, like coming through. Like, yeah, I'm sure you'll probably find tracks, but it's not like you're finding, you know, a ton of scrapes, a ton of rubs, big rub lines going through there, all that kind of stuff. Um, which, again, I think with some hunters, they wouldn't hunt that just because, again, if they're not confident hunting terrain features and funnels, they'd be like, well, the sign's not here. If the sign's not here, I'm not going to hunt it. And that's where it kind of bites you in the butt. And it's kind of, I say the flip side, the similarity with what you're talking about, you know, in, in like these more river bottom and uh, water access locations is kind of like what we found, especially this past season, hunting more mountainous country where these big terrain features, these big saddles and benches that these deer are using, these bucks are cruising on. You're not finding a ton of sign there. Yeah. You'd find some, some tracks some droppings. You may find a scrape or a rub, but it's not like, so much sign you blow like i've got a hunt here but in adjacent to it maybe down the bottoms off each side of that saddle you know a couple hundred feet down lower in elevation you would find a lot more sign there but a lot of that's nighttime sign or early morning sign where they're kind of working up those bottoms laying all that sign down but you're not going to catch a buck down there during daylight like he's going to be up on that ridge by that time and that's like where i killed one of my bucks last year is like where Andrew killed one of his bucks last year as well, um, is in locations, there's not a ton of sign. Like you'd find a scrape, a, maybe a community scrape or a few rubs, but nothing that blew you away compared to other locations. But that's where the bucks wanted to be during daylight when they're cruising, they're covering a lot of ground. Um, so the simulators there are, are really interesting based off like what you're seeing again and more of this kind of water axis, kind of bottomland, you know, uh, creek, river, uh, lake system kind of habitat versus like what we've seen again this past season up in the more mountainous country. Um, and, and you brought up something that I thought was kind of interesting, which I wanted to get to is the utilization of cameras and trail cameras in these spots. I mean, is that something, have you done that in any of these locations where you have a pretty tight pinch and throw a camera out like on a community scrape or on a rub line or anything like that? And if you have talked to us a little bit about it, or if you haven't kind of give us, give us some feedback on it. I don't run <clears throat> too many cameras in that spot that I'm talking about just because of the water. Like I could hang them up high, but honestly, I mean, I don't like hanging my cameras up high because I'd rather you just, just steal my camera, just take the SD card, whatever you want to do. It's a $28 Tasco nine times out of 10 anyways, you know? Um, but <laughs> what you're talking about, like not finding that sign or you find a scrape. I almost get more excited about finding an area. I don't want to see 40 scrapes under every beech tree. You know, that's harder to hunt. But you've got that one scrape. It's like, I guarantee you that's the one that every, you know, damn deer of any size is using in this area. And sure enough, uh, ran a camera on it last year. And my deer wasn't no giant by any means, but he was the biggest deer using that area. Um, and he was a pretty frequent visitor over that scrape. I, mean, I, I killed him five steps from it. Uh, coming back to it, I think it was, well, I told the old lady, I was like, I'll tell you what, honey, it's Thanksgiving day. I'm only going to hunt till 10 o'clock. We got to be at your parents at 12 and whatnot. 
9.59 of stick pops. Here he comes. I'm like, oh, can you ask your mom we can push dinner back till one? <laughs> it's going to take me a minute. But, um, yeah, and another thing you said that I, I really want to iterate on is the lack of sign. And I've bumped into one person in there in the last five years. And it was a guy that just wanted to take his kayak in and check some areas. He goes, man, I just don't think there's no deer back here. I'm just not seeing no sign. Yeah, this place sucks. This is my first time. I ain't coming back either. <laughs> you know, so it, that helps a lot too. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP20 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. Yeah, yeah. L- let me tell you. So once, so this kind of reminds me of like where I hunted in Arkansas this past year. And you would get in some spots where you're just finding crazy sign in these river bottoms. And then one spot, and you talk about close to access, that there was other guys hunting this location. Actually, it was an island. Um, and there was a slough that came up in that island that was very much like, <laughs> that was, that was, it had a, it was a very tight slough, I guess you could say. It wasn't like really wide. It was a very skinny slough, but it was really deep. And at the head of it, you had just a bunch of the grass, like just all kinds of grass and stuff. And this place, you know, it floods out every, you know, by, you know, December, January, this place floods out. And, uh, it was that like the day I shot my, my, uh, my bigger Arkansas buck this year, when I tagged out, I went to that location. I went in blind knowing that there was like a certain terrain feature. There was like a, a big open area kind of out on this Island that was real grassy. I'm like, if this buck's going to be in here, he's going to come he's going to come cruising through this big opening, uh, in the timber. But all the sun I found next to the kayak, when I beached that kayak in that slough, dude, it's sand and, and just a little bit of mud, but it's a lot of sand in that grass coming around the head of that slough. And there was not a tree to get in. 
you know, I said like there might have been one tree on the side of the slough, and the slough had like cut banks. It wasn't like again gradual; it was like cut banks on it. There was one tree that was about the size of like maybe a softball you could get up like six, seven feet in, and it had no cover, but you'd be twenty-five yards from the head of that slough where you could shoot to the head of that slough. There was so much big buck tracks running that edge right there. It made me think like, dude, maybe I need to back the kayak back off and kind of sit back off the edge of this slough and just sit right here. It was kind of funny when I shot that buck that morning. When I came back to the kayak, because I was very, I was paying attention to the ground all around the kayak and seeing all these tracks. And there was a few tracks there, but nothing crazy. There's some boot tracks there from a couple days previously. When I came back, there was three different sets of big buck tracks that were like right past my my boot track on the way in that I'm like, those were not here this morning, dude. That came shooting around that freaking, uh, that slough. And now I'm looking back at it. I'm like, man, maybe it's like, let's not overthink this. It's not overcomplicated. I mean, if you have a, a terrain feature like that with a big, long slough where you've got, just imagine, uh, almost like a, think of like a heart-shaped, you know, land mass where like you kind of get that, that plunge where that slough kind of plunges up into like that, that, you know, the island, or that land mass. So you have all this land, you know, down back behind it. That's good bedding. Well, if they want to go from one bedding area to the other bedding area, they have to go around that slough. I mean, unless they want to swim in seven, eight feet of water. So, um, it, it makes me kind of go back and rethink like, yeah, dude, like you won't be able to see a whole bunch, but if a deer comes around the head of the slough in that grass, dude, you ought to get a pretty good opportunity. I mean, if you could figure out whether you're sitting on the ground, which you might would have to, or get up in that tiny little tree to be able to shoot to that spot. Um, but again, it's one of those spots that like, other than tracks, like, yeah, you find some rubs back in there, like some willows and stuff, but it wasn't anything crazy, but they were just running that edge back and forth. And it was kind of funny when I shot my buck and I get on the kayak and I came back across to the access point, we were over there messing. Like my brother came down, we were taking some photos and stuff over. And I look back cause I can see kind of back at like in the mouth, of that slough. I can't see way back into it, but I can see where it opens up going, going back into the landmass. And dude, there's a freaking group of like 10 does that were coming around like the water line running back up into that slough, probably go around the edge of the slough. I'm waiting there with the binos waiting to see a big buck chasing them. Cause it was mid November. But, um, it is interesting when like, if you, you can very easily talk yourself out of like a super simple setup like that. That's not complicated because you're so used to like getting more creative, getting into a location yeah. where like sometimes that is the best spot to set up at. And even if there's other guys using it, maybe they're parking the boat like these other guys were. They were parking their boat, walking a lot further in, setting up some ladder stands and crap and kind of in the middle of this area. And it seemed like the deer didn't care. They were still working around that edge right there. Or maybe they were moving the edge because they were in the middle. That's you know? true. Absolutely. So that's something, you know, and also like an, another setup I had out there that was just, I was so wait, I was, I was it, this is during a rifle hunt and I was super excited. Hopefully get a buck come across this. There was a, a, a location where you had like the, the main side of the river and you had a, uh, a, a joining almost like an oxbow, um, kind of out in the river and, this deer would go from the oxbow trying to come across to the, the, the main, uh, like the mainland. And there was like an eddy right there, uh, with a bunch of like riprap rocks. And there was a big sandbar right there. And the deer were running that crap, dude. They were going from that oxbow out in the oxbow coming across like this, uh, riprap rock, um, and sandbar coming to the mainland. And I sat that spot one morning cause I was seeing all these tracks in the sandbar chasing tracks. And I'm like, there's no way. There's no way there's bucks running back and forth. But I was thinking about, like, man, if they wanted to get from that big landmass over here to the main side of the river, they've got to cross right here uh, unless they're swinging, swimming across the channel. And, dude, I sat there in a freaking willow 
and I think I saw, I think it was seven different bucks that morning. I sat till noon. One was a marginal shooter, but it was I knew there's even some bigger bucks out there. And they all did that. They were chasing jet does back and forth across that opening, coming across, and that was the only dry ground they could get from one side to the other. Um, and actually, we put a trail camera there. Uh, it has some does crossing and a couple of smaller bucks crossing for the few days we had the camera put out. Um, but it's crazy. Like Again, that was boat access, going in with the kayak, setting up, coming tree and kind of watching that landmass. Um and again, just fascinating. Again, it's, it's one of those things that like a lot of the other guys that were hunting that area and there wasn't, again, this is an area that's more known for like duck hunting per se than deer hunting, but the other oh, yeah. deer hunters, they were like not even within, like there was other guys hunting out there. They were nowhere in this area. They were like further up, like on the back of some ag fields and stuff like that. Some more classic spots you'd think of. Um, but it was just really interesting seeing how those whitetails were really using those different areas and those different train features, uh, down those bottoms that, I mean, you can kind of key off on and, uh, and have some success with. Um, so yeah, super fascinating. Again, this is something that's like becoming more and more exciting, especially as you go to different States. Like we're looking at a couple States this fall to go to that are going to be water access. Uh, one being Kansas, uh, should draw that this year. And then, uh, another state. I don't know. We may go to Louisiana, may go to Mississippi. We'll see. Um, but again, you're talking water access for a lot of that stuff. And it's, it's, you know, some's a lot bigger water than others, but, uh, it is very interesting. If you can kind of figure out how to maybe not overcomplicate and overthink some of these spots, how you can kind of go in there and capitalize, especially when you start getting towards that, that pre rut rut time period, when those bucks are really on their feet, kind of moving a lot more than they are, especially like early season. Right. Thank you, man. So we got. I want to mention this as well. Um, you know, we. Talk, I know there's so much more about whitetails we can talk about, but I do want to get to turkeys here. Uh, this being a little joint episode, you also not only do you deer hunt off a of kayak, but you like turkey hunt off a of kayak in some of these spots where you can kind of get in there. And there's, of course, there's birds. We, we've got. To, I got to talk to you about this. When, when you're hunting turkeys off a of kayak, talk to us about in and around these water, like these. Um, waterways you could say creeks rivers lakes reservoirs all this kind of stuff how close to that water have you found a lot of gobblers a lot of turkeys roosting at because you always hear guys talking about like they like to roost right over the water close to the water what have you personally seen after trying to do this with the kayak well i'll start off with a a nemesis bird of mine um right on the public private line on this water uh this is how close he likes to roost the water uh, there's a bird, and I know it's probably not the same bird. They just use the same limb. There's an old sycamore that grows, it goes up and it splits out over top of the water, and it goes over top of the land. And I can't tell you how many times I'll go underneath this turkey, blowing alcohol, and he, he could crap on my head. I could kill him with my boat oar. Uh, is how close he roosts to the water. Sometimes there's two limbs right there. And I always check to see if he's there, but he'll never, he'll never cast over to the the public so i don't even fool with them i just like to hear them gobble but um no a lot of times man they really like some water underneath of them whether it's a slough or like a lake a body of water whatnot the closer they're out of that water i guess it's a sense of security feeling um and along with the fact that i've noticed the bigger bodies of water sound carries better um it echoes across there so they can broadcast themselves more i've noticed Recently, on uh, the bird I killed, um, when was that? It was my birthday. It was Tuesday. Um, that particular WMA I had listened on but never hunted. Um, when I went and listened there a few weeks ago, the birds were scattered 
throughout the place, you know, just off in the hardwoods, ridges, whatnot. After everybody and their brother come to Kentucky this past weekend, then they were on the edge of the water for sure, pushed as far back as they could from being bumped and shot at and called at, you know, 30 minutes before daylight with a box call. So, oh, I'm so, I am so aggravated with this crap, dude. <laughs> I've come to the conclusion it's not the amount of turkey hunters that's in the woods nowadays. It's the ones that are in the woods that have no idea what they're doing that ruin it for the rest of us. But I'm not going to get off on a tangent there. Just a little vent for, for Emory. Uh, but, yeah, man, uh, the bird that I killed was uh, roosted right on the edge of the water. I had actually got off uh, work a little bit early, got out there, and I still wasn't there, like, as quick as I could have been. He was gobbling by the time that I got out of my truck and, had I been kind of closer to him at first light, I could have probably paddled, got out of the boat, got up in the woods with him, but it was already getting to be so gray light. Like I was getting nervous. He was going to see me actually. But, so that's how close he was to the edge of the water. Got right it. on a peninsula. So let, let's talk about this. Um, and I've, I've heard of guys doing this again. I, I don't really have a ton of experience turkey hunting. I'm trying to think if I've ever turkey hunted with water access. I don't think I have. I just deer hunted. Um, Talk to me, like, is is it um, effective to try to locate birds uh, in the morning off a kayak? And, and what is your take on that? 110%, man. 110%. You know, you can just – you can paddle into an area. And there's one of the main things that I love about using my kayak is if you've got, say, a creek, a river, a, a lake, whatever, if – you know, if you walk in and there's a river separating you from another 3,000 acres of public, what are you going to do? Swim it if there's one on the other side? And you most of the time, you ain't going to call him across it unless he's just ready to die. You can jump in your boat and paddle 15, 20 yards across to the other side and get on him. You know, there's so many more chances to get on a bird when you're using your boat. Um, you can cover tons more ground. Um, I was doing a little something – two years ago with my e-bike before he took a crap or last year where I would take my kayak and my e-bike, put them in the bed of the truck, take the e-bike or it's going to make sure I don't screw this up. I would take my e-bike and hide it. However many miles down the road where this Creek winds through this national forest, drop the e-bike, hide it, lock it to a tree, drive way back down the road, put the kayak in and drift all morning long. If I killed one, great, but I didn't, um, hide the kayak on the bank, take the e-bike, drive it all the way back to my truck, throw it in the truck, then go get my kayak. But it works a lot better if you've got somebody like, hey, man, I'm going to hunt this morning. I'll be close to this and whatnot. Can you pick me up at blah, 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 boat ramp? I'm going to drift, drift this whole river system and whatnot and just broadcast for birds. Now, locating-wise, I mean, is this something that you will do – not only in the morning, say like with a hoot owl call or something like that, but also even like doing some cutting or something to try to locate one. Like, I mean, what, what is your take on, again, casting whatever kind of sound, whether again, you use a crow call, owl hooter, or actually, you know, you know, do like a cut sequence or anything from the kayak. What is your take on that? And again, if say you get a bird to answer how you go about figuring out how you need to position yourself in order to kind of get an opportunity at them. I really prefer, I don't, I don't use a crow call ever because if there's a good, like a realistic sounding crow call out there that sounds just like a crow, either I haven't come across it or whatever. Um, but as far as an owl call, I run a, a Hooks Custom Call Harrison Hooter, dude, and it's 
money. I love, I mean, I blow that alcohol in November going to deer hunt. No, I love that thing. But I really would prefer using that call to locate a, go- a, a gobbler or let him do it on his own versus um, cutting at him, yelping at him from the water. It's effective. Um, but I don't really like to let a bird know that I'm anywhere in the area until I've got my, you know, butt up against a tree and whatnot. So many times, dude, you can, you can do something like that. I can't tell you how many times over my life be walking and, and yelping or, and, and before you know it, you got one answer, you 40 yards, he's been following you and uh, he busts you cause he sees you. So in my opinion, best thing to do is let them do it on their own uh, or choke it out of them with an alcohol and then look at your phone to decide the best plan of attack to get in the woods with him and see if you can call him in. So again, floating around, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be against mm-hmm. cutting on a call to get one to choke it out of them, but it also depends on how late the season it is and, and what they've heard, man. I mean, they might have the brain the size of a pea, but they've heard it all by, you know, the end of April. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, so again, being able to float around, use an alcohol, um, and, and really trying to hoot at them and get them to gobble. Is it one of those things that like, do you feel like a lot of these areas have, um, because of the, the habitat and everything, like decent enough numbers of, of gobblers that you can almost, I'm sure there's always more, it's quiet more, you know, we've all dealt with it. You go into a spot like, Hey, I know there's at least seven or eight birds here. And all of a sudden, like no one wants to gobble in the morning. Okay. Just nobody wants to do anything. On like quiet days, if you're in the kayak, will you just stay in the water for the most part and just keep covering ground till you strike one? Or is it ever a thing that you'll get out in a location based off like past experiences or based off where you've heard or seen birds in the, in the past and you'll kind of go into an area and, and blind call. What is your thought process, especially in the days when they're just not trying to be very vocal? Man, that's probably a terrible question for me because if they ain't talking, like I don't, I almost don't even want to hunt them. Um, I, I got this saying, if it's, if it's raining, if it's windy, and if they ain't gobbling, I'd rather castrate an unsedated cat than hunt turkeys. I, you know, I hunt turkeys to hear them gobble and, uh, I'll take, I mean, I'll take a bird however I can get a bird sometimes, but I'm not going to sit there and just beat a dead horse all morning long. Um, but if, if it's a place where, you know, say that you've been on the water a couple of times and you've heard this bird three, 400 yards off the water, he likes this little secondary ridge he gobbles from, but he's not talking this morning. Yeah, sure. I'll get out and I'll, I'll go over there and try to get in his bubble because sometimes they're just not going to gobble on mornings like that until you're like on top of them they're killable still but they're just not feeling it that morning so sometimes you gotta get out and do a little uh i don't know hiking for them yeah so to speak so get a little closer give us a little background on this turkey that you just killed um because it's an interesting hunt especially how he pitched down from his tree and had to, how you had to get back on. So, like, walk us through a little bit of that hunt because people will be able to go watch this on the YouTube channel and kind of see this broken down. But um, what was the specifics on this turkey? I mean, was this a turkey that, again, you had some history with that kind of knew where he was at uh, and kind of give us the whole rundown of, of that hunt specifically and how you were able to use the kayak to get back on this turkey after the fly down? The first one or the second one? Or the second one. The okay. second one. Um, yeah, okay. So this was kind of a newish area to me. Uh, I just basically been kind of checking like the harvest records and just kind of branching out and looking for some new places to hunt. And this is an area that has a bunch of like houses and whatnot around it. So I wasn't real sure, but I went and listened about a month before season and heard, you know, quite a few birds in there. And uh, that particular morning uh, when I got there, I dropped the kayak in the water 
Uh, and I actually went back up to my truck. I didn't mention this. I was so tired. I kind of fell asleep in my truck after I got dressed from being exhausted from working all night. And, uh, woke up, was getting gray light, ran down there, and instantly could, could hear turkeys gobbling. And I knew one of them was going to be 100% on the public. Like, I was excited. Um, come to find out, turned the corner, he was on this peninsula on this lake. And I seen there was this just very minute little drainage that he was really close to. And I, I was able to pull my kayak up in there with him and they got nervous because like there's leaves on the trees. And when they're that loud, you know, once there's a bunch of leaves, like they're, they're damn close. They're, they're close. And I was like, I better back up. So I just kind of pushed myself backwards with my oar and, and paddled on around. And it's a little bit steeper in this area. So once I got around, I was able to get out. <clears throat> and I wanted to let the bird just kind of pitch down, do his thing, then move in on him. It was great terrain. It was kind of thicker in there. It reminded me of like, so to say, middle Tennessee kind of foliage that, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but as I started to move in a little bit while he was still gobbling on the limb, I heard him pitch and I listened and I waited about three or four minutes. And this bird was gobbling on his own about every 30 seconds. Thought for sure. Like <clears throat> he's going to stay fired up. Well, then I started hearing other birds and off and on, you know, around me. And I'm like, you know, what's going on. And I wondered if I had scared this bird. So I got on my call, got super excited to the fly down sequence. Nothing. I'm like, something ain't right. Like that. They just don't do that unless you've scared them or something happened. So I eventually, over the next 15 minutes, I worked my way over there closer to where he was, found his fresh droppings, like in this huge beech tree. Um, and then I started hearing him across the lake, like four or 500 yards across this lake. And I'm like, I wonder if that's the same bird. So <clears throat> I literally got on my phone and like went back to the footage and listened to his gobble. And then I was like, that's 100% the same bird. I didn't scare him. He was just roosting on this peninsula. I feel like to be safe. And he had a bottom across there that apparently he liked because I had heard a bird in that bottom when I went and listened there. Uh, and I didn't get to uh, technically get there and listen right at daylight the time that I went down and, and uh, listened that morning. But I think that bird was roosting on that peninsula and flying over there possibly every other day, every day, you know, who, who's to really say, but uh, I was able to, jog back to my kayak put the gun on the gun hooks and whatnot and paddle across there and as i was paddling across there dude like he just started getting hotter and hotter and hotter i'm talking every 20 seconds i'm like dude shut up for somebody hears you gosh dang man uh was able to get out of the kayak walk 30 feet up this embankment i checked him um i think i actually said to the gopro and i, I didn't want it to seem cocky it's just i've, I've done this enough to know like if I get out of this boat without scaring this bird, I'm going to kill him. Like, he's he's ready to die. Like, you could have called this dang turkey in like a Merriam's with a pot and a pan beating them together if you hit the right cadence, you know? <laughs> and uh, sure enough, it wasn't uh, 10 minutes later, and he was seven steps and killed himself. Just cool to be able to uh, have that opportunity with that kayak, you know? So say you walked into that bird, and you're like, oh, man, I found a hot one. I'm going to get right on him. What does he do? flies across a body of water you cannot get to unless you're ready to swim um and it's just i don't know that that was key now are you ever worried about turkeys seeing you on the approach in the kayak because like you said like you kind of went towards him when he was down that bottom were you worried at all that he was going to see you coming across in the kayak oh yeah 
yeah, I, I really try to use the topo. If it's flat, I mean, there's only so much you can do. Um, out of sight, out of mind is, is like my biggest saying. And um, if you got a, like maybe a creek or a ditch that's low enough to hide your head and, and your profile and everything, or say like whenever I come up in that cove on that bird, I mean, he was right up that little drainage right there. I was just able to just push myself nice, slow. What You know, these birds, especially around these lakes, they see people fishing and stuff all the time. You know, they probably don't think much of it um, unless you're like yelping at them from the dang, the boat or whatnot, but use the topo and, and just kind of hide yourself and then move in on them after they fly down. Or like if they're in a bottom where they can see a while, you're just going to have to plan your attack very strategically where they won't see you. Yeah. So it almost does, uh, it almost does benefit you to really, well, it's like listen for them wait for him to fly down and then make your move just especially if there's some ground cover just so he potentially cannot see you because again if that if that turkey's roosted anywhere close to the water and you're coming by the water unless you can hug the shore or something or like the riverbank coming down to him i mean there, there's a there's a chance he could look out there and again whether or not it, it you know bugs him out who knows uh and every turkey's probably a little bit different but um that does make a lot more sense it's kind of waiting like you like you did waiting for that fly down to figure out your approach, not just trying to get right there on them uh, super, super early. Like some guys would try to do, like try and kill one right off the roost. Um, That's but- what I did uh, four days before. Um, I found them the night before from the water and I actually stuck in there and I had my hand on the tree. The gobbler was in, like resting my hand on the tree, trying to be quiet. I didn't realize how close I was to him. And sure enough, at daylight, I'd, I'd walk right underneath him and two other gobblers pretty wild. God, yeah. Well, it's like your video, you, you uh, I can't remember what year it was, but that turkey that you killed when, I mean, his feet barely touched the ground and you freaking just had him <laughs> swatted, dude. Yeah, that was the morning of my mom's funeral, man. That was wild. And I I bumped the bird the day before and I watched him run across this field. and I didn't realize I bumped him until I kind of like wondered what happened. I stepped out on the edge of the field and I looked and seen him kind of trotting and I watched him walk. It was probably half a mile. He walked right in the corner of that woods at dark and I was like, I knew I was going to be close in the morning and took a little steak blind and nope, no decoys, no calls, no nothing. Just, I was like, whenever he flies down, I hope he's close enough. And he was close enough. Yeah. He was right off the end of the gun barrel when he flew down. <laughs> yeah. He knew he screwed up too. He had that oh, oh crap look about him. Like, sh- 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 I still remember the cadence of his feet and he poked his head up. I was like, poor feller. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Um, awesome. Well, uh, is there any other takeaways specifically with kayak, uh, access for turkey hunting that, you know, people should be aware of, um, you know, just from, you know, the approach moving on a bird or just overall, um, just thoughts on just using it as an effective way to be able to kind of, you know, whether depending on the state you're hunting in, just trying something different in order to try and get on the backside of some of these birds. Cause that's something we've talked about a little bit is getting, approaching these turkeys from a way that they probably haven't been approached from before and calling to them almost from like the back side of where some of that pressure could be coming from and having more success doing that. And I mean, we've had guys like Dave Owens on the podcast talking about, you know, if you had a turkey close to the road that was really close to the road to swing way around them before, you know, fly down and call from them when he flies down from the back. So I'm calling from the away from the road and having success doing it. And I see like the kayak being a perfect place to do this at is again, calling maybe back towards the water where potentially, you know, they're not really having uh, other hunters do that in the past, or even maybe some hens and maybe get that curiosity to come and check you out. For sure, dude. That's a, that's huge. That is so big. Like, like what you said with Dave, 
how many guys do you think have pulled up to that gate and turkey's been 300 yards in there and the guy walks in 150 and sets down probably yelping from the same tree the last four or five guys have it's like you might sound great but they've they've either had some bad experiences or, or they just know better whereas if you can get on the side maybe they're already heading towards and fly down you know most of the time they're not going to fly down and walk right towards the road you know but who knows they're they're all different whatnot but getting around on the, the opposite side of where the birds haven't been screwed with is is huge um like like i've said you know hearing those turkeys earlier in the season uh off deeper in that wma you know i feel like the reason they were closer to the water is because they had been fooled with so much you know what i mean uh so g- getting closer and getting on the back side of them from where people aren't coming in and yelping on a box call every 30 seconds is is, is huge yeah oh yeah for sure the um yeah it, it's interesting um about you know what that could do for you getting on the backside of some birds like my first turkey i killed this year in alabama uh by the way mm-hmm. congratulations on your first long beard i was pumped for you dude and you've been you're mad at them now oh yeah yeah get killed two and should have killed one in west virginia when we were up there and just screw the pooch on that get way too close to a bird on the roost way too close like you know when you're talking about like I, I say like when you can hear the back end of their gobble where it's like it sounds like they're coughing like oh, like that you're too close <laughs> And, uh, yeah, yeah, that, it it didn't work out for me, but, um, no, I appreciate it, dude. It was, uh, that first one I killed on, it was on public. And, uh, when I hiked into the spot, they were just over a mile and a half from the access point, kind of up on some ridges. And there was three of them up there gobbling. Well, when I got to the listening spot, there's a, there's like a little kind of clearing opening where they had like logged and I could tell, I didn't make any calls because they were gobbling on their own. I was like going to wait and try to reposition on the birds. And I was, I was worried that they were going to come down to this opening towards me and there wasn't a really good setup. Well, when I got to reposition, like after fly down, I noticed not 25 yards from where I had sat down and listened from, you could see someone the day before had set up in that spot, had broken branches down up against this pine tree. And you could see they had sat there the day before. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to call, I'm not going to call these turkeys from this direction just because I'm like, someone else was already in here and probably didn't kill the bird, maybe bu- boogered them. So I'm going to get on the back side of them. Right. And I had to climb way up in elevation, get on the back side of them, got onto that, that ridge point that one of them was roosted on and called all three birds back in at like 1030 in the morning uh, and killed one of them. So, um, but I know I think that's that's a huge factor. Is like you know if if they are consistently, especially early in the season, getting called from and, and, and people shooting at them or just spooking them, calling from the roads, it's just like conditioning. It's like I, again, they might not be the smartest animal in the world, but I feel like if they are conditioned that for whatever reason, if I hear a hen down towards the road or whatever, maybe I'm going to be a little bit more kind of uh, uh, lackluster about kind of just running down and in there on them and kind of hold my high ground or, you know, kind of sticking away from the road. And you kind of call from the back side of them, uh, which at the back side mm-hmm. of this turkey, uh, it would have been, it would have taken a lot for someone to get back over there um, to get into that location coming over the back side of that ridge. And uh, I, I, again, I think it's a huge factor uh, for sure to like have success in those locations, especially on pressured birds. And again, like the kayak offers that. Uh, again, if everybody's walking in from these spots, you know, th- think about turkey hunting, which is really interesting. You know, guys are not afraid to walk, okay, compared to deer hunters. Like deer hunters, no. they ain't walking very far. Like you got some guys that may go in a mile, mile and a half, two miles, maybe. But when it comes to turkey hunters, you know, it's like we did eight and a half miles in West Virginia one day, seven and a half the next day. You got guys that are willing to walk. 8, 10, 15 miles a day trying to cover ground. Well, the one thing that stops those guys is some big water or like some kind of deep creek. Like I said, they may carry some hip weight or something, but if it's deeper yep. than waist deep, 
that cuts out 99% of people from getting across that. And if you can use the kayak to get back to those spots that these birds either get pushed to, or it's just like their own little sanctuary that not many people are messing with them. It just seems like you would have so much success, uh, like what you've had, you know, using that kayak to go into those locations and, and really, you know, capitalize on those, on those, those, um, those periods of time when those turkeys are really back in those locations. Yep. So, yep. I ain't walking no 15 miles a day. They can have that. <laughs> <laughs> the most I've, the most I've ever walked her going it was like 14 and a half miles and that was in South Georgia hunting with our buddy Jordan Barnes and uh, let me tell you they you talked about being chaffed or, or chafed my bad they big old boy walking that many miles dude even though it's was, it was flat land it's, it's not that bad but we covered a ton of ground one day on a bunch of different public because I screwed up we should have killed a bird right off the roost got him in within eight yards and I could not shoot him he was like on the. He was between me and Jordan. Jordan was filming me next. He was sitting next to me. That bird got on the other side of him, right through some thick stuff. And I can only see his legs and his beard hanging. And that sucker was sub ten yards from us, spitting and drumming, strutting. I could not. There's no way to swing on the bird. Oh man! But um, Crazy. but again, I just the kayak is so fascinating. Uh, again, it's something that you know I recommend, especially if you are a guy that hunts public land, or maybe you're in a big lease or club and you've got like a pretty good body of water out there. Um, whether it's a there's a pond that's a few acre pond a lake a uh, river that runs through it trying boat axes to get into a spot that typically you would walk to especially for deer and even for turkey i think you could really open up the doors to having success in areas that a lot of other guys are just overlooking or they're just not having success there because they're walking in instead of boating in and they're spooking whatever game's already back there so awesome well jacob listen I appreciate you doing this podcast with us. It's been an awesome time. Uh, for anybody that's interested in watching some of these turkey films or deer films, especially like the turkey film that we've talked about and also your Indiana buck, uh, how can guys follow along with the YouTube channel? How can they kind of follow along and maybe ask questions to you on, say, Facebook or Instagram as well? Um, my YouTube has gotten close to 90 videos on it now. So what started as something kind of just to pass the time and fun, you know, has actually turned into something like, holy crap, I need to keep this going. So there's a crap ton of hunts on there. If anybody wants to go check it out at uh, DO3 uh, Outdoors stands for dad of three because I have three children and that's not going to change. I hope we've had some surgeries, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, thank for that. Uh, but uh, you can check me out there. I don't use my DO3 Instagram account hardly, so just uh, look me up. I think it's like Jacob Emery underscore DO3. Um, uh, you guys could probably have your best luck getting a hold of me there. Um, Facebook, I almost don't even add people no more because I feel like people are just fishing, <laughs> fishing for something. My location and city is turned off, so don't even try. Um, no, but you guys can add me on Facebook, uh, Jacob Emery as well. Um, but Man, if you guys do hear this and, and you want to go subscribe to the YouTube channel, that'd be a huge help to me. I, I do appreciate that and appreciate all the support that I have had so far. It's it's nothing fancy. I'll go ahead and tell you, I filmed with my cell phone and a couple GoPros. I edited on a $30 DVD that I found off eBay back in 2016, and uh, I don't plan on changing. Uh, I'm not no Heartland Bowhunter Productions, I can tell you that. This is, uh, this is as real and as blue-collar as it gets. 
Absolutely. Well, <laughs> definitely, everybody, if you, if you are listening, if you like watching, especially hunts and YouTube content, which a lot of us do, yeah, definitely go check out Jacob's uh, YouTube channel, DO3 Outdoors. Uh, give us some support. Let's get him over 5,000 subscribers. That'd be a good time. And uh, and get this rocking and rolling because uh, I know Jacob's got some awesome hunts planned. Not only, you know, he got some more turkey hunts going on this spring, but really deer hunts this fall is going to be super exciting. Uh, so you're going to want to make sure you all check that out and uh, follow along with him. But, Jacob, appreciate you joining me on the podcast this week, and uh, best of luck to for the rest of your turkey season. Real quick before I let you go, uh, are you hunting any other states this year or you got any other tags? What's, what's the situation right now? Uh, so I'm going to hit Indiana uh, for opener. I might take my daughter tomorrow uh, for Indiana youth season. Uh, payback for the 17 Indiana trucks on Kentucky Public opening day of youth season. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, might take her uh, tomorrow morning and uh, I'll be hunting Indiana opener on Wednesday. Uh, I've asked off for the 26th through May 2nd. So I'm just kind of looking at the weather, man. I'm not really tied down anywhere. Uh, I thought about possibly going to seeing my grandmother in Maryland, uh, hunting some turkeys up there. Um, or, uh, da, 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 let's see. I have a Michigan tag that I can purchase cause I drew it, but I don't know if I want to go up there now. Um, thought about going to Tennessee, might as well buy my Tennessee license. Cause I'll be hunting down there at some point. You know, I'm just going to I'm gonna watch the weather and wherever things look best, that's where I'm going to go uh, for two or three days. Dude, I may have talked to Andrew in to uh, going to the Northeast this, uh, this spring with me uh, and do this it. This spring or yeah, next spring? This spring. I'm going next, I'm going next spring, well, 110%. This, them things, I mean, I, God for – I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody, <laughs> but I've watched them turkeys up there, and they are the eastern Rios of the United States. 100%. I've never seen Easterns gobble like I mean, uh, besides the one I killed the other day. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Like, you, so let, let me tell, let me tell. We just did an episode. Uh, it'll come out. Uh, actually, it may be come out this week along with your episode um, with uh, John Lewis and Cody McIntyre from Just Hunt Club on YouTube. They're from upstate New York, and they came down. They were sharing camp with us with Josh Hyerton from the Untamed in, in West Virginia. And they were talking about those birds in the Northeast, and we kind of did an episode of the Northeast for the Southeast. They've hunted all up and down the East Coast, all throughout the South, and a little bit in the Midwest, too. And they're like, dude, just, you know, and these guys are hardcore turkey hunters, but like, dude, the, he's like, the turkeys in the Northeast are just so much easier than dealing with in the Southeast and, 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 the, and even in the Midwest. He's like, it is, again, if, they, if they're not working, they're talking about riding roads like in Maine and Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Vermont. Um, and he's like, if, if the turkeys aren't gobbling decent for us, we'll just keep driving until we find some that are, and then we'll just hike in and go kill them. He's like, you know. Well, if you can't talk Andrew into going with you, you just give me a call. And if my wife decides she won't divorce me, I'll probably ride along with you. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I think, Andrew, uh, we, we might be going to Vermont. I think that's uh, that's what we talked about. And if we do that, uh, we, we may jump over to another state too because – May try to link it with those guys, um, and I know Josh Iredin, um and Zach Markham from the Untamed. They're going up there uh, in May, uh, doing Northeast Run too. So um, it's interesting, dude. I was talking to them, uh, not to make this episode too much about that, but I was talking to Josh, or I was talking to John and Cody from the Just Hunt Club on YouTube, and uh, they're talking about like you know just the turkey. There's there's really not a turkey hunting culture up there. Like it's it's so new, like. The, the guys yep. that kind of grew up turkey hunting or like have been turkey hunting the longest are like in their mid thirties. Like if you're any older than that, they really didn't have much turkeys to hunt. 
So it's like it's so new up there that there's not that many people at turkey hunt, and the turkey population is exploding, and they're acting like unpressured birds. Like they just gobble their heads off, super aggressive. And I'm like, oh, that's what I need. I need that in my life because I'm tired of I'm tired of quiet Alabama turkeys right now. So I, I hear you. I guess uh, I guess all the coons and coyotes and possums up there are all vegan. They're not eating the turkey eggs. They must be just. <laughs> popping up there you know something like that man something like that yeah i don't know that uh john they were showing me a photo uh they killed a bird they've killed a bunch of birds in vermont but one of the birds they killed in vermont in vermont was on a ski slope like on a uh yeah, back i think of, i watched that hunt. well yeah dude they're they did a short on it. it's got 18 million views of that turkey they killed on that ski slope and i forgot what the elevation was a beautiful country man they're like dude it's, it's just crazy up there man it's like again bunch of birds very vocal you know like you said like they're the the rios of the the eastern uh subspecies just gobble their absolute yep. brains out but anyway super excited about that but yeah i have to keep you posted on it. but uh jacob i again appreciate you joining me on the podcast it's been an awesome time uh, best of luck to and again listeners go over and check out do3 outdoors on youtube give jacob a subscribe and uh, go watch some of these videos i think you'll really enjoy them and uh, be pleasantly surprised with some of his videos and some of his hunts um so go check them out and uh, jacob again appreciate you joining us for the podcast appreciate you buddy thank you All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear how do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.